And so we are on lesson 11 of the spring quarter, and the title of the lesson is The Final Victory. Scripture covered will be Revelation 19 and 20. So, Lord, we do thank you that uh, in this we have hope. When we look around the world, there's not a lot of hope. But we can see past that because we have your word, and we know how things will turn out. And so uh, we pray that you would help us to understand this as we look at the second advent of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we have finished the 21 judgments. Last week we finished the judgment against Babylon, the uh, Antichrist's capital, in the tribulation period, and this lesson is going to cover the second coming and the millennial kingdom, and it will give us the length of the millennial kingdom. So it starts out with section A, the Song of Victory, and that's chapter 19, verses 1 through 10. Can I get somebody to read that? Thank you, Monica. Yeah, so this uh, starts out, verse 1, after these things I heard something like a loud voice of a great multitude in heaven saying, Hallelujah, salvation and glory and power belong to our God. So it starts out with, after these things, meta tauta in the Greek. So it is moving on chronologically again. We took an interlude last time to look at what happened to Babylon and all of its destruction. Now it's moving along chronologically. And Matthew 24, which is something of a parallel to this, in Matthew 24, 29 and 30 says, but immediately after the tribulation of those days, so after the tribulation, the sun will be darkened and the moon will not give its light and the stars will fall from the sky and the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then the sign of the Son of Man will appear in the sky, and then all the tribes of the earth will mourn, and they will see the Son of Man coming on the clouds of the sky with power and great glory. So that's what we're looking at here. Now in this section it says hallelujah four times. This is the only time you'll find this word in the New Testament. Hallelujah. And uh, so this is like the Hallelujah Chorus of the New Testament, and it's from the Hebrew. Halal means praise, and then Yah, the Lord, praise the Lord. So Hallelujah means praise the Lord. Um, no, actually in the Greek it is does sound Hallelujah. And uh, so I, it's, uh, you know, it's the same thing, praise the Lord. And then uh, verse 2, because his judgments are true and righteous. Now, we have just witnessed weeks of horrific and terrible judgments. <laughs> yeah, it is exhausting to think about. But these judgments are true and righteous. For he has judged the great harlot who is corrupting the earth with her immorality, and he has avenged the blood of his bondservants on her. So I want to read to you Romans 12 in relation to that, and I forgot why, but I'm sure it'll come to me when I see it. 
And this is Romans 12, verses 19 and 20. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him, and if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in so doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. We are not the ones to take revenge. God will take revenge for us. He will. His judgments are true and righteous. We tend to go overboard when we go for retribution. You know, we want to annihilate whoever it was who hurt us. And, yeah, yeah, he will wait many times. He will wait. Um, but he will do it, and it will be perfect when he does. So then verse 3, and a second time they said, Hallelujah, her smoke rises up forever and ever. So the judgment of the unbelieving is eternal. You know, we've talked about this before, that there is a certain camp, even among evangelicals, that teach something called annihilationism, where they, uh, the ones I know are John Stott, in his later years did that, and a guy named Clark Pinnock, who is, uh, you know, I forget what group he was. I mean, I think he was in the evangelical. I can't remember what it was. But anyway, he's someone you wouldn't expect. <laughs> and he started teaching annihilationism because nobody likes the idea of eternal conscious torment. I mean, everybody shies away from that. It's frightening, scary. But that is exactly what the Bible teaches. And we need to be willing to admit it. The Bible teaches eternal conscious torment. Yeah, and we have to pray that the Lord will protect us from that. Because it's uh, the world is constantly trying to get us to move off of his word. I mean, that's what the world does constantly. So, yeah, so judgment is eternal, and that's why evangelism is important, <laughs> because we don't want people to end up in eternal conscious torment. Even our enemies, we don't want that for them, you know, because that's real bad. <laughs> we don't want that. We don't want that for them. Then moving down to verse 7. So there's four hallelujahs there, and then verse 7 talks about the marriage of the Lamb. Who's the Lamb's bride? We are. We are the Lamb's bride. So verse 7 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him. For the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. So here the word translated bride in the Greek is gune, which is woman or wife. It's in Greek. <laughs> Gune. Okay, I, okay. I, it's uh, well, I spelled it G U N E. That's how I spelled it, but um, it means wife. So, in other settings, such as in eighteen twenty-three, this is about Babylon. 
But anyway, 1823 says, And the light of a lamp will not shine in you any longer. This is talking of Babylon. And the voice of the bridegroom and bride will not be heard in you any longer. So the, the word there for bride in Greek is nuphae. So it's a different word. Before consummation of the marriage. So here, this indicates that the marriage of the Lamb between Christ and his church happens in heaven. Okay, that'll be great. So verse 8 then, was given to her, this is the bride, to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Now normally when we see White robes, especially in Revelation, it indicates salvation. Salvation is by faith alone, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, without work of any kind. Faith is not a work. It is where you direct your trust. And so, um, but this speaks of works. So we look back at Revelation 3, 5. Okay, Revelation 3, 5. He who overcomes will thus be clothed in white garments. Okay? And I will not erase his name from the book of life, and I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. So here the idea is, remember we, the definition of the overcomer is in 1 John chapter 5. The overcomer is the one who has faith in Jesus. So the believer is the overcomer. So here he's clothed in white garments in Revelation 3.5 due to his faith. Here it talks about righteous acts. And so I, I think this has to do with our rewards. At the Bema Seat Judgment, um, which usually we think of as crowns, um, but here it talks about um, the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. And we saw that also in Sardis, that even though they were saved, their, their white gowns had become dirty. And that's in Revelation 3, 4. It says, but you have a few people in Sardis who have not soiled their garments and they will walk in with me in white, for they are worthy. You know, Jesus said that in John 13, that, you know, you, you have all been washed. You just need to wash your feet. Okay, we are all washed when we believe. We are fully washed. We are secure in Christ, but we do sin still. So we need First John 1, 9 to restore fellowship with the Lord. And so... And the Lord rewards us as we do that, as the acts that we do out of faith are rewarded. So then verse 9, we see the fourth blessing in Revelation. It says, Then he said to me, Write, Blessed are those who are invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. And he said to me, These are true words of God. So we have the marriage of the Lamb, and here we have the marriage supper of the Lamb, which is a different thing. Right? That's the party. <laughs> That's the wedding party. So um, so those invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb are blessed. 
And we are the bride. Yes. And so, of course, the bride is invited to the marriage supper. Right. So, so the church will not be the only people invited. Because the church is the bride. So it's their marriage supper. But in Matthew 8.12, Jesus said, But the sons of the kingdom... Okay, let me go back to verse 11. I say to you that many will come from east and west and recline at the table. That's a supper, isn't it? With Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. That's the marriage supper of the Lamb. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the utter darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So, the I'm you know... I'm sure there are other interpretations of this, but I think that this is the marriage supper of the Lamb is the millennial kingdom. The people who are invited into it are those who are alive through the tribulation period, who live through the tribulation period, and are believers. Because Jesus will judge the living at the end of the tribulation period, the Gentiles in the sheep and goat judgment, the Jews in the judgment in the wilderness from Ezekiel chapter 20, and he will execute the unbelievers. So if you make it through the tribulation as an unbeliever, you'll be judged and executed by King Jesus. And the Old Testament saints will be resurrected, and the tribulation martyrs will be resurrected, who are not the church, they're not the bride, and they will be invited also to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So the people, you know, the believers are the ones who are blessed and invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. So, um, and then John is so excited about all this stuff that he falls into idolatry. <laughs> John the Apostle, <laughs> he says, Then I fell at his feet. Whose feet? The angel's feet to worship him. You know, John, who wrote in his little epistle right at the end, little children, you know, don't be involved with idols. Stay away from idols. So he forgot. He forgot, he forgot that here. And, but the angel corrects him. Do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and your, brother, your brethren who hold the testimony of Jesus. Worship God, for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. Okay, so anything else about that? This is great stuff, man. I am so looking forward to this. Okay, section B is the defeat of God's adversaries. So how about, I'll read this. This is the description of the great and terrible day of the Lord, which is in Joel 2, verses 30 and 31. But this is how it will go. It says, And I saw heaven opened, and behold, a white horse, and he who sat on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written on him which no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood, and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, 
so that with it he may strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. And he treads the winepress of the fierce wrath of God the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Then I saw an angel standing in the sun, and he cried out with a loud voice, saying to all the birds which fly in mid-heaven, Come assemble for the great supper of God, so that you may, may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men and the flesh of horses and of those who sit on them and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves and small and great. And I saw the beast and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war against him who sat on the horse and against his army. They are totally deluded. Anyway, and the beast was seized, and with him the false prophet who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast and those who worshipped his image. These two were thrown alive into the lake of fire which burns with brimstone. And the rest were killed with the sword which came from the mouth of him who sat on the horse, and all the birds were filled with their flesh. Okay, so this is a scene of carnage. But that's the, the great and terrible day of the Lord. The, uh, there's a book uh, that I really like. It's called Maranatha, Our Lord Come by Renald Showers. And uh, he talks about the day of the Lord in great detail there. And he talks about, it's like the evening and the morning. You know, the first day in Genesis, it says there's the evening and then there's the morning. And so the evening is the bad time. The evening is the tribulation. And the morning is the good time, which is the uh, millennial kingdom. But the great and terrible day of the Lord is the day of Jesus' advent the day when he comes, because look what happens. <laughs> you know, it is total slaughter. So then, and it happens, you know, heaven opens, and a white horse rides out of heaven, he who sat on it, faithful and true, in righteousness he judges and wages war. When Jesus came the first time, he did not come to judge. He said that very specifically. I did not come to judge. I came to save. This time he comes to judge. He already saved. So in verse 12, so in his eyes, verse 12, are a flame of fire, and because he's hot right now. <laughs> and on his head are many diadems. Remember back in chapter he was chapter 15, he was wearing a crown that was a Stephanos crown, the crown of the overcomer, but now he has been crowned as royalty, as king. And it's, you know, I wonder if there's a crown for each of the ten regions of the earth, and I'm just making that up. You know, because there's ten kings, there's going to be ten regions ruling the earth, in the Antichrist kingdom, and he will have every crown when he comes. Yeah. Yeah, and we'll be the North American Union. That's our region. They're working on that at this, at this moment. Yeah. So, and then he comes, his clothes, his clothes with a robe dipped in blood. I'm on verse uh, 13. Yeah. 
Yeah, that's okay. I know I do that to you every time. I apologize. I can't help myself. 1913. Yeah, so Isaiah 63, 2 and 3 says, Why is your apparel red, and your garments like the one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the wine trough alone, and from the people there was no man with me. I also trod them in my anger and trampled them in my wrath, and their lifeblood is sprinkled on my garments, and I stained all my garments. So this blood is not his blood, it's their blood. He shed his blood 2,000 years ago. But now he's coming for judgment, and he will. it will be the uh, enemy's blood that is shed. And uh, in, back in Revelation 14.20, remember the, the magnitude of this. Th this is the, the same thing, a different view of the same thing. It says, And the wine press was trodden outside the city, and blood came out from the wine press up to the horse's bridle for a distance of 200 miles. Remember, the entire earth is going to be gathered there, the armies of the earth. It will be biblical, literally. And, uh, yeah, yeah, I mean, there will be so much blood, it will be ridiculous. So then in verse 14, And the armies which are in heaven clothed in fine linen, white and clean, were following him on white horses. So who are these armies following him? Yeah, that we get the angels from uh, the sheep and goat judgment, actually. Tells us that. And that is Matthew twenty-five thirty-one. But when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. And also, you and I will be there. That will be a cool ride. I don't think we'll do much fighting. Yeah, but we will be following. We'll be following along. And why do I say that? That is from John 14, 1 through 3. This is the first mention of the rapture in Scripture. It says, Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. In my Father's house are many dwelling places. If it were not so, I would have told you, for I go to prepare a place for you. If I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also. So at this time, we are now the Lamb's wife, because we've been married in heaven. Now, when a husband travels somewhere, his wife goes with him, don't they? They do. And he said, he's going to receive us to himself, that where I am, there you may be also. Once we are united to Jesus in this way, we will always be with him. And so we will be following him when he comes to conquer and rule over the earth. So the armies in heaven following him are the angels and the church. Okay, then 17 through 19, this is a uh, 
feast, but it's a feast for the the animals that eat carrion. Where verse seventeen says, "Come assemble for the great supper of God." So it's a feast, so that you may eat the flesh of kings and the flesh of commanders and the flesh of mighty men, the flesh of horses. So the horses will be involved in this. The bad guys' horses, yep. And of those who sit on them, and the flesh of all men, both free men and slaves, small and great. And what is crazy is that, that verse 19, I saw the beasts and the kings of the earth and their armies assembled to make war with God. You know, as you... As, <laughs> I know. Yeah, I mean, you see, as you go through the tribulation period, that people get hard, more hardened, more hardened, more hardened, more hardened, until they're crazy. And they do things, they do satanic things, yes. So people become, I mean, they become to a place where there's nothing you can do with them, but put them down. That's the only thing you can do, you know, and the Lord is so patient, he waits. Until that point, really. So then verse 20. So it doesn't really describe a, a battle. <laughs> yeah, there's not a battle. It's just over. You know, the Lord comes. The armies are assembled against him. And then it tells about it's over. <laughs> yeah, that's because Jesus created the world with a word and he can uncreate people with a word also he can destroy them with a word so that is why you know that is why it is correct to fear god i mean we fear him in the fact of reverence and love but we should fear him in the in fear too, because he is so powerful compared to us that it's uh, it's totally ridiculous, you know. Right, because he loves us, and isn't that great? We have a God who loves us, even though he's so powerful that nothing can stop him from doing anything he wants. So anyway, we are blessed. But um. So then the beast and the false prophet are the first inhabitants of the lake of fire. The beast is seized, and with him the false prophet, who performed the signs in his presence by which he deceived those who had received the mark of the beast, those who had worshipped his image, these two were thrown alive into the lake of fire, which burns with brimstone. And there's an interesting uh, passage in Habakkuk, about this battle that I want to read to you. I just discovered this, I don't know, a year ago, a couple of years ago. Um, you, you continue to discover things in the Bible as you go through it. Yeah, it's a, it's a gold mine. Yeah, Deuteronomy is an awesome book. Yeah. So this is Habakkuk. 3.13, it says, You went forth for the salvation of your people, for the salvation of your anointed. You struck the head of the house of the evil to lay him open from thigh to neck. I think that's speaking of what will happen to the Antichrist. 
he'll be opened from thigh to neck. Apparently that won't kill him because he's thrown alive into the lake of fire. He'll probably not feel good. Okay, so that is the defeat of God's adversaries. And that is the return of Christ. Now we're going to look at the Millennial Kingdom. So section C is the doom of Satan. That's chapter 20, 1 through 10. Somebody want to read that one? Thank you. And in 10 verses, you go through the whole Millennial Kingdom. Yeah, that was uh, quite the synopsis. Yeah, uh, quite the synopsis. So this, um, so it, the, it says the doom of Satan. It's not the final doom of Satan. But uh, chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, tells us about the start, duration, and end of the Millennial Kingdom. Now, we don't get much of the details of the Millennial Kingdom here. Uh, that is mostly in the Old Testament prophets. We hear it's, it's going to be a time when if you die and you're under 100 years old, when you die, people will lament the fact of how young you are when you die. So lifespans will be increased as they were before the flood again. Um, there will be universal prosperity. Prayers will be answered immediately. The animal kingdom will go back to being herbivorous. They will no longer be carnivorous. They will no longer be dangerous to man. Um, there will be perfect justice. There will be perfect righteousness. There will be peace. It'll be awesome, you know. Huh? No. This is the Millennial Kingdom. The, the Millennial Kingdom is kind of a renovated earth. The geography has changed, but sin is still there. And death is still there, and that is why Satan is not yet in the lake of fire. Satan will not, nobody can say the Flip Wilson line anymore, that the devil made me do it because he won't be able to influence you. He'll, he'll be in jail. But there will still be sin. That's why Jesus has to rule with a rod of iron. He has to rule with a rod of iron because the sin nature will still be there. And so the sin nature won't, because he cannot, because Jesus rules with a rod of iron. Yeah. It can't. It can't get out of control. The, well, they're not. They're not Christians because the church is all in heaven. So they're believers. They're not part of the church. And all believers, only believers, will enter the millennial kingdom in mortal bodies. They will have kids. The sin nature is passed into the kids. Okay, it is from those kids that this. Well, let's let's go through this, and I'll I'll talk about it. Um, every every single person ever born needs to have the the his choice. Am I going to choose God's way? Am I going to choose my way? Every single person, even in the millennial kingdom, where it's utopia, it is utopia, and Satan cannot 
I tempt you. So anyway, say, verse 1 through 3, when I saw an angel coming down from heaven holding the key of the abyss and a great chain is in his hand, I think the abyss and Tartarus, which is mentioned in Second Peter, are the same thing. And he laid hold of the dragon, the serpent of old, who is the devil and Satan, and bound him for a thousand years. And he threw him into the abyss and shut it and sealed it over him so that he would not deceive the nations any longer until the thousand years were completed. After these things, he must be released for a short time. So the question is, why doesn't the Lord throw the devil into the lake of fire right away? Because he wants them, the people who have been raised in utopia, he wants them to be tested. He wants them to be tested. Why? Because we are made in God's image. If you're made in God's image, but you're never tested, that's right. That's right. He's taking away our image-bearing status. So that's why he hangs on to Satan. Satan is a tool for God. So here Satan will be bound. So when you hear uh, Christians trying to bind Satan now, that is an exercise in futility because Satan is the god of this world. He's the prince of the power of the air. He's the one who, like a roaring lion, walks around looking for people to devour. A Christian will not bind Satan. Look what it takes to bind Satan. An angel comes from heaven with a large chain, a great chain, <laughs> and then he'll be bound. So a, a Christian cannot bind Satan. What we're to do is to put on the armor of God daily so that uh, we can defend against Satan. Uh, we can't bind Satan. And then, verse 4, Then I saw thrones, and they sat on them, and judgment was given to them. So I'm thinking that this is the church that has returned with Jesus. We have already been resurrected. We have already been rewarded. We have been married to the Lamb, and we come down, and depending on our life here on earth now, we will have some position of authority in his. No, there's a judgment for the church, the Bema Seat judgment in heaven after the rapture. There is the judgment for reward for Old Testament saints and tribulation saints after they're resurrected at the beginning of the Millennial Kingdom. And there are also judgments for living people, a judgment, uh, the uh, sheep and goat judgment, and the judgment in the wilderness for the Jews. And that is to determine, will they go into the Millennial Kingdom or will they be executed? And the final judgment, we'll look at at the end of this lesson, which is the Great White Throne Judgment for the unbelieving, or the wicked dead, and they will be judged. They will be judged based on their sin for how much torment they will have for eternity. So there are one, two, three, four judgments. Yeah, a, a lot of a lot of churches do this. They cram everything together. And they don't really go over it, and they kind of allegorize everything to, all into a big mass, and then say, well, we'll go to heaven. And they don't look at what it says, you know, 
And that drives me crazy. So anyway, you don't have to study or think about it or do anything like that. But, you know, I, I, I like to know the details. It's, uh, you know. So anyway, nobody, well, nobody said the judgment yet. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's your Jehovah's Witnesses, friends, saying that. That's soul sleep, yeah. Stuff like that. No, people are conscious. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. That's the intermediate state. Yeah, that's waiting resurrection. And there are a couple of theologians, and I like to agree with them, that say we have John Walbert is one, and uh, Dwight Pentecost was one that said thought we ha would have interme intermediate bodies too. Like <laughs> the idea of just being a spirit floating around bugs me. <laughs> But anyway, they, and there's some, there is, yeah, that, that's something that's harder to pin down, but I, I certainly hope so. I don't know. I don't know. You know, it'll be great. Actually, to be in the presence of the Lord, yeah, it'll be great. So. Oh, yeah. It'll be awesome. It'll be so fun. So then... So this first sentence, I believe, is the church, and then it goes to another group. And I saw the soul, huh? 20 verse 4. 20 verse 4, yeah. So then he says, And I saw the souls of those who had been beheaded because of their testimony of Jesus, because of the word of God, and those who had not worshipped the beast or his image, and had not received the mark on their forehead and on their hand, and they came to life and reigned with Christ for a thousand years. So, these are the tribulation martyrs. So, we see in this one verse, the church in the first sentence, and then the tribulation martyrs being resurrected, and they join the church to reign with Christ for a thousand years. So, we don't want to leave out the Old Testament believers, because that just wouldn't be nice. So in Daniel 12, I believe it's Gabriel talking to Daniel. He says, 12 verse 1, Now at that time Michael, the great prince who stands guard over the sons of your people, that's over Israel, will arise, and there will be a time of distress, such as never occurred since there was a nation until that time. Okay, and so that is the tribulation. And at that time, your people, everyone who is found written in the book, will be rescued as part of the reason for the tribulation. Then many of those who sleep in the dust of the ground will awake. That's their resurrection, the Old Testament saints. But the, this verse says, these to everlasting life, but the others to disgrace and everlasting contempt. Now this verse, verse 2, tells us there's a resurrection to life. There's a resurrection to disgrace. It doesn't tell us that they're separated by a thousand years. But Revelation 20 tells us that. That's where we get that difference. So the first resurrection is the resurrection to life. And it mentions here in verse 5, the rest of the dead did not come to life until the thousand years were completed. This is the first resurrection. So uh, people have been, you know, I was reading some 
con- the the quarterly on Revelation is just ridiculous, and so um, because they try to put in allegorical views in there, and it makes it so you can't figure out which ends up, but. Um, the first resurrection is the resurrection to life, and that comes in three waves, which goes along with the Jewish harvest system. Christ is the first fruits. Jesus was the first one resurrected into a resurrection body. Okay, the second wave is general harvest, and that is the church at the rapture. That's you and me. The third is the gleanings. And so the church will be raptured pre-tribulation. The gleanings will be the tribulation martyrs and the Old Testament saints. And that three, those three groups then will be the first resurrection, the resurrection to life. After a thousand years, there will be another resurrection. And that is the resurrection of the wicked dead. And so um, our last section will talk about that. So verse 7, when the thousand years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison. So we talked about that. So it's been utopia for a thousand years. Everyone has been obedient to King Jesus. There have been no DAs releasing criminals into the streets all the time, multiple times over and over again. There have not been cities burning, etc. It has been perfect justice, perfect righteousness, but there have been some who have never put their trust in Jesus, even though he is physically sitting on the throne in Jerusalem with glory around him. Now that's amazing to me, that people do not have faith in him, even when he's sitting there and Miracles are everywhere in the millennial kingdom. But when we look at it in verse 8, so Satan comes out of the abyss to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. The number of them is like the sand of the seashore. So the number of unbelievers, too many to count. Too many to count. And the Gog and Magog, I think, is, uh, I saw, is like, uh, it's like your Waterloo, you know? Waterloo is a real thing back in, I don't know when, you know, when Napoleon met his Waterloo. Um, it's a saying like that related to Gog and Magog. Gog and Magog came against Israel early in the tribulation. They were defeated by God. And it's a similar thing here. Yeah, so it's a, I, I believe this is a saying. That, that's what I think Walverd wrote that, which sounds reasonable. But anyway, so there's more unbelievers than can be counted, and now they have Satan there to whip them up into a frenzy. And so again, they decide to fight God. <laughs> they decide to fight God. <laughs> yeah. At the end of the millennial kingdom. And again, um, this is to test the fate, the faith of the mortals, to give them a choice. Are they going to believe in Jesus or not? 
There is exactly, exactly. Yeah, yeah. The Lord made us in His image, and He will honor that all the way through. He will give everyone a chance because we, yeah, we have been given a choice, and He will allow us to make that choice. Will He persuade us? Yes. Will He convict us? Yes. Will he set situations like we're like we can't find a way out? Yes. But he won't choose for you. Okay, then verse 10. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone. He's now served his purpose. Well, the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So now look that. The beast and the false prophet went in a thousand years earlier. And it says they are there also. It's been a thousand years. They're still there. It's not going to end. They're going to be there for a trillion years. A quadra quadra trillion years. A gazillion years. Can you imagine how that would feel to go in there and know that it would never end? That's why we have to evangelize the lost. Okay, so section D, the judgment of the dead. That's what the quarterly says. I put in the judgment of the unregenerate dead. Let me read that real quick. And I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it, from whose presence earth and heaven fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, the great and the small, standing before the throne, and books were opened. And another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged from the things which were written in the books according to their deeds. And the sea gave up the dead which were in it, and death and Hades gave up the dead which were in them, and they were judged, every one of them according to their deeds. Then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire. This is the second death, the lake of fire. And if anyone's name was not found written in the book of life, he was thrown into, put in the Lamb's book of life. You were in the Lamb's Book of Life before the earth was created because God foreknew that you would do that. Yeah. But um, so what happens at the great white throne judgment is the wicked dead are resurrected. There are two books. There's a book of life and there's a book of deeds. They re- He rechecks the book of life. Are you in the book of life? No. Everybody here is not going to be there. So he goes into the book of deeds. He ignores anything good. He, because when you go before a court, are you? do they evaluate you according to the good things you've done? No. They evaluate you according to your crime. So he looks at your sins. And he will put you in whatever category of the lake of fire is appropriate for the sin you committed in your life. And you will stay there. This is a horrific judgment. This is a horrific judgment because everybody here before the great white throne is going into the lake of fire. And notice that this is after, in verse 11, it says, I saw a great white throne and him who sat upon it from whom, whose presence earth and heaven fled away. This is probably immediately after Second Peter 3, verses 10 and 11, where he says the earth it will be dissolved with heat. The Lord will destroy this earth and heaven 
because it has been contaminated by sin. And he will remake a new heaven and new earth that we are to live on eternally. Yeah, the kingdom of heaven is this millennial kingdom. And at the end of the millennium, it will Jesus' throne will merge into the Father's throne. And at that time, there will be no longer any night. Well, next week we'll go through all of that stuff, because next week is the eternal state. So, Lord, we thank you for this look into the millennial kingdom and your coming, which is awesome. And we pray that it, this would encourage us to tell people about Jesus so that they will avoid all these uh, horrors, which will be just, but are still terrible. Um, we thank you that we are saved from all of this. In Jesus' name, amen.